It is May 2021, just over one year after the COVID-19 pandemic put a screeching halt on passenger travel, and if you asked anyone how long it would have taken for the aviation industry to bounce back, most of us would have guessed much longer after the 9-11 and 2008 recession. But here we are, things are heating up already, and we have a special guest to give you some insight on how things are going. People who give back to their industry are few and far between, so it is my honor to have Eric Sabiston on today's podcast. If you are looking to earn a living in aviation, this episode is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you are a civilian, military, fixed-wing, or rotor, Eric has some words that are not to be missed on industry trends and opportunity. Let's give him a call. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Eric? Good. How you doing? Yeah, real good. You're uh, so you're out on a trip, huh? No, I'm actually uh, <laughs> I'm actually parked downtown, uh, so I can get a good signal. Oh wow, <laughs> that's funny. How how do I sound? Is it is it pretty clear? Is it okay? Yeah, it's real clear. How about me? Yeah, no, it's perfect. I I think everything okay, is good. great. Excellent, excellent. So so real quick, can you can you help me pronounce your last name? Because I've heard everybody say it a different way how i get out of trouble when i was a kid that's how it worked um uh it's sabiston Sa- it really is just the way it's spelled ah sabiston okay because i've heard sebastian yeah. and all different types of things so um yeah well cool sabiston <laughs> nice well it's great yeah. to finally meet you and talk to you uh in person huh you and, and congratulations on uh the engagement that was uh I, I did not show my wife that because I really don't want to be put to shame. But you did it. <laughs> you did it first class all the way, like you do everything else. Oh, man. that's funny. Yeah, I just uh, I, I love flying, and you know, she <laughs> she grew up on that air park. That's how she fell in love with aviation as well. So, um, oh, really? I did. I didn't infer that from uh, the post. I don't really creep you or anything, but. Uh, so she's an aviation enthusiast as well. Yeah, she's a she's a business developer and um and and she's working for my company now and she's she's growing she's growing the uh, the training online training stuff and the aircraft management the VIP uh, you know the services I provide and stuff and and it really right. allows it allows right. me to kind of focus on what I like to do which is the content and the flying and all that stuff and uh, the the back end of the business is something that just distracts me from all that and takes away my time you know so it's really great to have her on board. Nice. So yeah. So um, shoot. Where where do we begin? I mean, this this conversation could probably go for hours, and we could tell all kinds of stories and stuff. Um, but but I think it's it, everyone probably knows who you are. Uh, I'm sure of it. So you want to just give me a little snapshot of how you know you got into you got into flying choppers, then kind of what what led you to flying airplanes? I think it'd be a great uh, little summary. When I was a kid, I loved aviation. I loved um, aircraft. Um, when I was really young, I mean, I'm talking like, you know, four years old, I would take Legos and make little cockpits with little buttons on them, uh, supposedly, you know, and, uh, and, and display them, you know, and, and pretend I was flying. Um, and that was, that was something that never left me. I, I loved aviation my whole life. Um, when I got to high school, there was just one problem. I wasn't a great student and I was uh, terrified of heights. Um, oh, that's so, so funny. I, uh, yeah, I went, I went to college. I wasn't sure that aviation was going to work out for me. I, I had hoped to be a military aviator, but again, I didn't quite have the grades. In college, I did fairly well, but then I ended up dropping out. I had joined uh, the military part-time fixing aircraft. Oh. And that kind of led me to, you know, give up the dream of 
actually being a pilot. And then after 9-11, I decided to come back in the military again, and there was just not a lot of positions available to me, so I came back in as a mechanic. I had tried to be a pilot because I, you know, I already knew about the Army Warrant Officer program, but uh, I was told I was too old for that. I was 29, ah. and I believed him. Uh, but I finally did get into flight school, and I was uh, 32 when I was picked up, and I went to flight school at 33. And, uh, yeah, from there I just flew Blackhawks. I became an instructor pilot, and then in about 2015 – um, I had made the decision, a uh, very, very heavy decision, to get out of the military, went looking for a civilian job, and I'd had some pretty decent uh, medevac experience and a couple thousand hours. I thought that, you know, that should help me, but I couldn't find a job anywhere. I went to all the conventions, you know, I went to, to the job fairs and, you know, paid for the suit and got the hotel and the ticket, and, the, and uh, you know, after three of those, I still couldn't find a job, so... I decided to look into fixed-wing aviation, and that's probably how you and I first met, I guess, really. Yeah, yeah. What and what year was that that you couldn't find, like, what kind of range, year range was that you were trying to find a, a helicopter gig? Yeah, it was around 2016. Yeah. I had gone to my third Heli Expo, and I was down in Dallas, Texas, and a good buddy of mine named Mitchell Bell, he's a American Airlines pilot, he had come down to... To meet me, he read my book and said, let's, let's meet up at the Heli Expo. He was a Marine C-130 pilot as well. We're walking around, and I, I said, I'm, you know, I'm hungry. I want to get a bite to eat. And we went to Herrera's. <laughs> had some Mexican food. And he could see that I was a bit disheveled and a little bit downtrodden. And he said, why don't you go to the airlines? And I looked at him. I said, man, the airlines are going to take a guy like me. I'm a helicopter pilot. And he slid his pay stub across the table. And when I saw the number, my eyes just shot out of my head. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And at that point, I started seriously thinking, well, maybe I might make a pretty decent airline pilot. <laughs> right. And, and that was the impetus. That was the spark that uh, gave me the idea to start uh, Artag. Wow. Yeah. That's see. And I was I was pretty much in the same boat, but I did have a helicopter job. I, I was flying Air Medical yeah. for you know for Reach out in California at that time. And, and it was kind of interesting because, yeah, great yeah I, wanted to, I wanted to be a doctor growing up, you know, and, and uh, like you, I started, yeah, okay. I, I had, a, my grandfather was a, he was a pilot, he worked with um, Jimmy Hoffa in a number of ways too, flying, but uh, he, he had one of the first VS-300 production aircraft that Sikorsky ever made, he had, he had the, the frame of it, old rusty, old beat up frame, you know, the, uh, the thing that would never fly again, obviously. And uh, that was in our backyard, and so I grew up playing, pretending, wow. pretending to uh, be a pilot inside of that frame, you know. And I, and you know, they, the, Sikorsky <laughs> used to sit out on the front of that thing. That's where the pilot sat, and in the center of it is where the main rotor gearbox was. But I, I didn't know any better, so I used to sit where the main rotor gearbox compartment was, thinking that's where the the pilot cockpit should be, you know, in right. the middle. It's at the top, right? You're at the top of the aircraft. Yeah, in the yeah. top, in the middle, right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of how I'd always in the back of my mind, but I never knew you could make a living at it. I always thought you had to go military and, uh, you know, and I, and I did go to the military, um, recruiter, but they couldn't guarantee flight school. This is in 05 or so when I, when I started getting the idea and the bug and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and I, and I thought about fixed wing too, but it seemed like everybody was just stuck in the regionals indefinitely back then. And, and, and the only way to get into the majors was due to natural attrition, you know, some, somebody would retire or die or whatever have you, um, 
and, and one by one you could get it slowly the line would move you know so mm, so that's sure. and that's when i chose and i said well i'll just go to helicopters then and and i you know and the school i i started at was advertising 50 grand a year right out of right out of the gate so uh that's what pushed me to the rotor side but i fell in love with it i mean i i absolutely loved it but uh yeah, and and I was and I and I had done everything that I was going to do, you know, and I thought I wanted to be a doctor, and and uh, and and I was taking some classes at UCLA, and then I realized, well, I don't want to be, I'm not an indoors bird, you know, I'm I'm definitely an outdoors kind of bird, but I don't want to, I don't want to work construction, and but I want to do something that's technical and respected as well, you know, for to to appease the family and all that. So uh, I said, well, heck, I could be, I could do an air rescue, be an air medical pilot. And kind of have my hand in helping people and stuff like that, like a doctor would, but I can be more of like a delivery boy instead. So, so mm. I, I went that route and it was kind of neat because I was actually working at the UCLA Children's Hospital flying their air rescue helicopter when I made the decision to go fixed wing. So uh, it was kind of a kind of a unique thing that the base manager there said, hey, look at this, uh, look at this retirement rate coming up that Envoy published this this huge uh, PDF document on on how much opportunity was and what they were making and how fast you could get into the regional go from regional to to the major and and I said shoot and that was at the that was at the very tail end of 2017 in October and then by December I had my job I had all my ratings and and my job at Trans States Airlines uh, in a matter of a couple months so that was that was my path from from rotor to fixed you know so um yeah and uh yeah so that so that was that but so so you you have done it you've made it you you're you've climbed the ladder and you made it into a, a into a uh your your final job right you're done uh well yeah for sure i'm not leaving <laughs> seniority is everything yeah uh no i'm i'm not i'm not going anywhere uh, i got to the place i wanted to get to but um that's not really my interest that you know my life is it seems to be a never ending series of I'm going to go try this and then I get it. And then I seem to go try something different. So maybe that's what happens, uh, when you're, you know, a, a willful young, uh, adult, but, uh, no, I like where I'm at now, but I'm more interested in seeing other people get there. And I feel like for the most part, when we talk about the trends in hiring and we talk about the challenges for recruiting, um, we really overlook maybe the greatest, you know, unsung demographic, potential applicants in this nation um and if you look at it from a purely financial business aspect it, it's shocking that that uh most companies don't embrace veterans they don't know much about them the, the divide in this nation is so great uh that it's often overlooked but i mean from a financial standpoint it, it's the right move and so i don't really uh I don't really focus too much on what I'm doing. What I really enjoy in life is helping other people. And that sounds cliche, but over the years, I fought it. I fought it. I tried to do things for myself, but now I realize, no, actually, I'm very happy just helping other people. Um, and I'm lucky to have three great guys that helped me at our tag, the main guys, uh, you know, Joshua Lee, Tim Kirschbaum, and Jim McClung. And so we founded this charity because like any other veteran, you know, when you see, you know, somebody else struggling or maybe something good happens to you, the first thing you want to do, you want to help somebody else. You want everybody else to get in on this thing. And, um, yeah, we're just trying to, we're just trying to pay it forward. And that's about it. You know? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta send the line back down and hoist up, hoist everyone else up. Uh, and it's, that's ki- right. it's yeah. kind of an interesting, if you know, social media is quite negative these days. And, 
it, you know, aviation is cyclical. So it's definitely something to consider. You know, ver, you know, if you've got a couple thousand hours in rotor and you could you could hop into the fixed wing side right now, that's that's a very viable option. You know, but somebody yeah, not even a couple thousand hours. I mean, at the last Artec convention in uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama, we had a young man I met who was 119 hours, and that's 119 hours in his logbook. I think nine of that was in a Cessna. So 110 hours in rotary wing aircraft. He graduated on a Tuesday, and he had two job offers from Republic and Sky West the next day. Wow. So the 2014 pilot source study, which was briefed to the FAA, clearly spells it out. Helicopter pilots, and it didn't delineate between military and civilian. Of course, you know, RTAG is the first organization to push, actively push civilian rotorcraft RTPs. But helicopter pilots outperform, outperform traditional fixed-wing civilians in initial Part 121 training, including less additional IOE. So these are numbers that are indisputable because they're, they're backed up by mathematical fact. And I'm not saying civilian applicants aren't great, but, you know, you take it, if you can take... If you can take a 750-hour F-22 Air National Guard pilot and put him in a legacy, why can't you put a 3,000-hour Apache pilot with six tours to combat in a regional jet? doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just they're, they're great with the crew, um, you know, crew communication and all that. They just they really excel. I, I, that was my biggest thing is I, I, was, I flew single pilot for, you know, mm-hmm. like 9,000 hours before I – started working in the airline and uh call outs and and sops and all that i mean sops were kind of okay but you know as you know there's 360 different runways to every landing spot in the helicopter world but there's only one in the, in the fixed wing <laughs> you know so it's like there's a lot of decisions that that change and the way you make those decisions have to be a team and uh so yeah I, that was definitely a learning curve for me that's for sure flying the machine was easy that's you know? an interesting point yeah it's an interesting point because civilians generally fly, fly single pilot in the in the helicopter world but military uh, pilots the predominantly they're at least two to four people at all times so the multi-crew environment is something that is second nature to us crew coordination is second nature to us you know absolutely so that's, a, that's an interesting point that's a challenge you know that you know i don't often uh, think about for for civilian rotorcraft pilots yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't even know like about callouts when I was when I was sitting in class at Trans States. <laughs> I mean, I, I had no idea that everybody said exactly the same words and there was a script. You know, I had no idea. And uh, and if it wasn't for my for my Russian uh, sim partner Constantine, he he drill sergeant. He, <laughs> I mean, he took me. We we practiced every single night. I'm like, really again? And he's like, yep, we got to do it again. And thank God, I mean, that he did that because. Uh, I don't think I, I would have passed as easily as I did if it wasn't for him just reciting over and over repetition those call-outs, you know, with me. So, um, That's crazy, yeah. I yeah. totally understand that. For the military, what, what they call them flows and call-outs, we call that an expanded procedure. So now I tell somebody who asks me, I need to practice my flows. Okay, look, a flow is an expanded procedure that you do, and then you follow it up with a checklist. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that makes sense now. But sometimes it's just about, you know, you know, just learning the language. I mean, some, sometimes when you go into a new industry, and you, you understand this from having, you know, skipped around to a couple of different ones, you've got to learn the language and the lingo, you know? You've got to learn their way of thinking and talking, and, and analogies are fantastic, but you can, you can always relate these to things to things you've done in the past. And that's, frankly, a lot of what I think success is. You know, I remember I was a, I was a music teacher, and I was a pretty decent musician for many years, and I remember doing an ILS, into Lawson Army Airfield and struggling with it. And I thought to myself, you know what, if I can, if I can, you know, 
get really good at music, then I can get really good at flying instruments. Well, that's kind of a joke right there, but, but I can continue to, you know, do different things. Um, so for helicopter pilots, they have the airspace, uh, you know, you know, situational awareness. They have the air sense. They have the systems knowledge. Um, now they just need to not come to a hover over the uh, the runway, right? <laughs> right. Yeah that that was a that was a little bit of a problem. So when I moved over to captain and <laughs> and I had a few first officer uh, right out of the military side, they they were uh, they were shooting for the numbers instead of the aiming point markings. You know, it seemed like almost on every landing out of habit. You know, so um, that's great. Yeah, that's great. but it yeah. was fun. But. Yeah, it, it's 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 a it's an it's a fun career. It's um and it's expanding, and you know we I'm sure we'll talk about that too. Uh, what's going on? We had a massive pandemic, and and I thought it was going to take five years for the industry to recover, right? Yeah, I was three to five years was my bet. I, I would have put money on it uh, uh, a year ago, three three years at the earliest. Well, you know, last year in the summer we had to plan the Artec convention. And these are not cheap, even though we don't take a salary for what we do. They're not inexpensive. So we're sitting here looking at the election. We're looking at the year. I said, look, the industry will, we believe it'll, it'll recover by the fourth quarter of 2021. Well, I can tell you right now, as of today, we're six months away from the Artec convention, and I have never seen us so full so early on. Um, there's probably pretty much not, there, there is no airline that we haven't talked to. And I can tell you, there's no airline out there that says they don't want to come. Uh, but right now, most of them are coming, <laughs> and something's going on. It must not be three to five years. Well, they want to get they want to get the cream of the crop, you know, and I think that's a good place to start for them. Uh, you know, they can they can really start to to, to gather uh, those folks who are highly motivated and and ready now, you know, and get them get them through the training gates because it's you know, it takes a couple of months to get somebody on the line, you know. So they got to definitely start yeah. early, and uh, I'm glad to see they're being proactive because typically they're reactive in nature as far as hiring is concerned. They wait until you know, all the pilots on the line are suffering and working overtime too much, and, and then they start hiring. So this this is kind of a, a nice nice to see them stacking the lines as they are now. Yeah, the numbers that I'm hearing, and these are just, you know, numbers, I'm not going to quote specifics, but some of these majors right now are looking at being short on pilots as early as June, and that's now. So these numbers are, are they're, they're not just being proactive, they're, they're in a bind, they're in a pickle already. And I think it's it's beneficial that even though some of these HR departments have been unfortunately cleaned out of some really great people, and a lot of them I consider friends, these recruiters are great, great people. Um, there's not enough of them removed from the situation, and the time since the pandemic has not passed so greatly to the point that they don't know what's coming because they just lived through it a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, you know, up to 40% or more of these seniority uh, lists are going to be completely wiped out in less than five years. That's that's panic mode at this point. I think that they are uh, they're realizing that it's not just the cream of the crop. They they need to expand their pathways. And I for one am happy to see them do it. I'm I'm, I'm happy to see them looking in different locations for pilots. Yeah, the gateway programs and and all of those are are great. I, I do you yeah. have do you have any visibility or do you know of anyone who's who who has tracked the retirement rates with an extreme precision? Like, can you like, so for what I'm getting at is <clears throat> when is, so there's, there's going to be a certain point where, Hey, Oh, looks like an airline pilot's a good job. Let me get into aviation. Right. And then you start your training, become a flight instructor, build up your time or go military. There's a certain, there's got to be a certain cutoff where the opportunities we have today are definitely going to, you know, take, you know, several, several years to get to the same level 
you know, and, and I think there's a little bit of animosity in, in the, uh, with, with the older guys, because I mean, I did, I did in six months or, or a year, I upgraded a captain in 13 months. So most of those guys took 15 years to get to where I did it in, in only a year, you know? So there's a little bit of a, uh, you just hit the timing. Yeah. You just you, skate you, through. You, you, know? you just hit the timing. I mean, you're the, you're the man. I mean, you had, I think you made, was it you that made that graphic of the early adopters and it had the whole trajectory of our taggers, I think. I don't know if it was yeah, you or yeah, somebody that, else. Yeah, I made a little Yeah, graphic. I remember that. Yeah. A, that was a really smart one. Yeah, you know, it's cyclical. It's, it's cyclical, like you said. It, um, it's what, if anywhere from a five to seven to a ten-year cycle. So, yeah, this will not last forever. Of course not. It, it won't. And, you know, we talked for years and years about this. Um, our tag would eventually become a fraternal organization, and that's why we made the decision from the absolute beginning to be a charity. And and not to be you know uh, you know like a for profit you know business yeah uh, but yeah I mean you're absolutely right these these but I, you know I I laugh Ian I know you know I'm like I'm in my late 40s so a lot of these old timers are younger than me and they're hemming and hawing about how they missed out look you, you know they have the opportunity as well and 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 you and I both know this even if they don't go to the fixed wing world you better know that. The rise in pay at the rotorcraft level, that's completely due to the community and our tag pushing these airplane transitions. I mean, it, it's good for pilots. It may not be great for accountants, but, you know, you shouldn't have to fight for a job. You shouldn't have to pay, first of all, you shouldn't have to pay $500 to go to a, an event. You have the privilege of meeting somebody to hire, you know, to get a job. And if you're a business, you shouldn't have to pay $100,000 a year to some company to meet high school kids. You know, and say, hey, someday you can be a pilot. And we want to make it free for everybody for that exact reason. Yeah. We know it's going to be cyclic. We know it's not going to last forever. And I'm trying to make it free or cheap for everybody if I can. Because well, I just, I'm a fan of aviation. I'm not a fan of money. I'm a fan of people. And I'm a fan of things that go, you know, in the air. Well, that, around, so. that, well I mean, that's, that's incredible because, you know, the, the people that you're helping have a salary that, that leaves them in debt every single year, you know, further and further. And so, right. you know, and I, and I go to these conventions every single oh. year, you know, I, I love shaking hands and knowing the people in person to person. And, uh, I go to, people. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, the people that we like, <laughs> I, I go to every single helicopter, uh, you know, HAI um, heli expo that I can. And, and they cost Great around, organizations, by the way, you know, Fantastic. They, they are, and, and they're really pushing for safety lately, which is, which is great. Um, you know, Jim, amazing U.S. helicopter safety team. Yeah. Got Tyrell, those guys. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. But um, it's, it still costs, it still costs you a couple of grand to go. I mean, if you're looking at airfare, your hotels, your entry fee, uh, you're, you're spending $2,000 that you're putting on a credit card for sure to go. Well, you know, you, you also look better in a suit than I do. I might go down to pay less and get some shoes, but Ian always looks like a model going down the runway. I'm like, yeah. My wife's like, who are you doing an interview with now? I'm like, Ian. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a nice good looking guy. Oh, but yeah, no, no. For, for, for the rest of us, no, I'm just kidding. No, they're, they're great, but you know what? I, I, I think it's, 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 they're also more like an industry thing. So, I mean, you may have the Sultan of Omar showing up or maybe his representative looking to buy some new helicopter gear. So that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do pick up a couple clients every year, it seems, that I eventually will train or help them buy an aircraft or, you know, something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. But, 
Yeah. So, so, but I would like to know when the cutoff is. I, I would like to know when, because there's a certain point where you're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is not the best career path. You know, stick to stick to computer programming or something. You know, uh, because you're going to get stuck in that twenty thousand dollar a year range for twenty years. Uh, that that day will come one day. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, you know, that's a that's a very very broad question, and that and that depends on a lot of different, you know, aspects of this uh, of who's asking i mean you got to look at their background i mean do you have an rv and a motorcycle and an airplane in the garage i mean do you have twenty thousand dollars in credit card debt or more are you you know i mean seriously are you a spendthrift i mean uh are you a, are you a fast learner do you have any kind of uh a bit you, you know veteran status or anything like that any kind of underemployed status where you can get grants i mean it, it comes do you have a, a retirement do you have do you own your home? I mean, do you have, I mean, this is a million. You can't really put it, you can't really know where the cutoff is. I mean, I was in my regional uh, with guys who were joining at 60. Well, I mean, there was one guy in my class who was 62, and they were merely doing it for one reason. Why are you doing it, buddy? You're not going to get to legacy. Well, I may not, but you know what? I'm going to get flight benefits for the rest of my life. So, I mean, what's it for? Right now, currently, if you have a college degree uh, and you're a civilian and you have a couple thousand hours of turbine time, at least a thousand hours of turbine PIC. And I think you would be competitive to apply to any of the low-cost carriers, the ultra-low-cost carriers, even the legacies. Um, and look, I got to uh, a major with far, far, far less than the required numbers. So they look at the whole person, not every airline, but a lot of airlines do. I mean, it's, it's the age thing. I mean, a lot of guys I know and, ga- and gals, who are, you know, my age with a military retirement, and they're getting, you know, what, three grand a month and free health care. They wouldn't even consider going to the airlines at my age because they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's too much of a risk. I'm doing it without a military retirement right. or any, any free health care. So, I mean, there, there, there comes a point where you've got to take a chance and you've got to make a choice that yeah. you're going to have any kind of change. You really do. And, and for the lifestyle that I have right now, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. In the in the army, my my first job in the army, um, and I hate talking about the military all the time because, by the way, our tech helps civilians get jobs too. I got a a young guy, a CFI gig, and it was enough to help him get that flight time to get to a uh, sweet corporate job flying jet. So we help civilians too. But I digress. But um, in in the army, my first job in was this uh, mission called Air Assault, where we plan everything from the touchdown time you know, on the objective, and then everything's back planned from that point. So I don't, I don't suggest people look at, you know, the fact that you're going to have to make, you know, like 35, 45 grand a year at your regional, maybe 50. I know some guys who made 70 a year at SkyWest their first year, but you don't look at that first, you know, year or two. You're planning it from the backside where you're making 350, Yeah. you know, and you're getting 20 days off a month. I mean, you know, this month I, I've, I'm going to enjoy 19 days off in a row. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's pretty great lifestyle, and I'm still making far more than I ever made as a helicopter instructor pilot. Like it, I'm I'm still clearing over a thousand dollars more than I ever did, uh, you know, teaching people how to fly helicopters. And I'm I'm sitting at home, so there's different there's different aspects of that. And of course, you know better than anybody living in base. Yeah. A lot of folks have no clue what that means. Yeah. And, and I was the founder of our tag, and I was. Putting on conventions, 
And I still had no clue what that meant until I got to the regional, you know. Right. And suddenly I realized, wow, driving four hours to work is awful. <laughs> yeah. This is terrible. <laughs> but so so to get that to get that the 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 cre- the, the final three hundred and fifty thousand that you were talking about, there's a certain point where the attrition rate is gonna slow down after they replace all these retirees. Um, yeah, about five to seven years, I would guess. That's, I'd say five yeah. to seven years. Because you have, you know, up to 50% or greater of these seniority lists being wiped out. You have a, a shortage in Vietnam airplane pilots, which made up a large percentage, uh, and plus the Cold War pilots that would come in. The, the, the actual numbers of the military uh, and the military aviation in each of the different services, uh, those are shrinking every year, and they have shrunk since the end of the Cold War. So you now you have a smaller amount of people who don't have to pay for their training. Right. So now you have a glut of people that have to pay for their training. And therein lies the problem. You're going to go $150,000 in debt so that you can maybe get a job at a regional so that you can make less money than a manager at McDonald's um, so that you can someday get to the golden ring and finally pay off your debt. But then again, folks, I mean, look, if you're a doctor and you go to med school, you're going to have debt too. If you go to law school, you're going to have debt, too. And I understand that there's young, young low-time pilots that say, well, you know, it's going to change in five to seven years. Yeah, it will. You know, but, but you can't predict when that cutoff's going to happen. So I, if you had to ask me, and, um, you know, and I called, I, I said it would be recovering by the end of 2021. I think we have, I think we have seven years, frankly, of good, solid growth. I think the next year is going to be a transitional year and i think by next summer it's going to look just like 2019 if not worse as far as you know from the airline standpoint for our standpoint it's going to look great yeah um and i think 2023 is going to be the the biggest year of hiring in in the history of aviation barring an uh, international meltdown or maybe i don't know like a pandemic (laughs) or a war um but yeah those those to me, those those are solid numbers. I, I would I would guess five to five definitely seven is my gut feeling. I think ten stretching it really yeah, is. Yeah, and then that's a pretty much on par what I've been saying. And and what you're saying is to get into the major, yeah. to get into the majors, because that's really everything else is a trickle down effect all the way to helicopter business. To, to get into a major? No, 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 no. Are you well? well let's let's quantify that. Are you talking about from somebody who's never flown an aircraft? Well, you're just saying five to seven years is when the need will be filled in the majors and slow everything else down right. up up to there. Yeah. So, right. and I think I think most military pilots, certainly fixed wing, and I would say that most, uh, frankly, I mean, I'll tell you this, Ian. I I think we'll see. Right now, there is a company that is testing two R-taggers straight to the 737 right out of uh, their first initial airplane training. Wow. Right now. And so they will go from, like, a Cessna or whatever, Twin Comanche, whatever they're flying for the multi, and they will go straight into a 737. And there are multiple companies doing the same thing. So if you're talking about time two, a military helicopter pilot, if you, if you know how to network and you know how to study and, and you're sharp, um, well, you get to a, a major in two years easily. And I know that because there are literally hundreds at Artag who've already done it in that time frame. Tim Kirschbaum, a co-founder at Artag, already flying for ATI. Josh Lee, he's a second-year pilot at Frontier. Um, Jim McClung, also at Frontier. I'm at Frontier, too. But, I mean, look at guys like you. How long did it take you to get to JetBlue? Yeah, it's about a year and a half, two years at the most. 
Yeah, you know, Zach Bohaska, my good buddy, he's flying 747s. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, at this point, for military helicopter pilots, man, if you're sharp, two years. If you're zero to hero, as I call it, um, you're probably going to have to do, what, a year or so of CFI? Because right now, you know, you're, that's another good point, too, Ian. Is, I mean, you and I understand that uh, the traditional pathway for most folks to get to the airlines is to go and be a CFI and do that for a while, which is great. Um, but what about your school? Is your school full of students? Well, I can tell you where the students are. They're at the places where people don't have to pay money for it. Here and again lies my, my point about how the, the you know, demographics in the airline industry have changed to the point where um, you know, there are far more civilians who are out there doing left turns like they're at NASCAR eating ramen noodles and paying their dues that way instead of getting shot at. Right. So for those guys... It's a slog, man. I feel I have the utmost respect for my civilian friends in the airline industry. They earned it just as much as I did. They just didn't get shot at. But now at a flight school, where do you want to be? You want to be where the military is. I mean, there are programs like credentialing assistance. There's DOD SkillBridge JTest AI. There's WIOA, WIOA. There is there is VRNE. Um, there's programs like Campbell Strong, which are unit-specific, but yet they still give uh, out a lot of money. And then lastly, there's the big-ticket one, which is the GI Bill. So there's zero reason why an R-tagger would have to spend any money to become an airline pilot. I'm talking zero to hero for basically free if they follow our program, which is free, and we don't take their information, and we don't, take, we don't sell their email address. I don't want your email address. Stop calling me. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But <laughs> for, these guys, for these guys and gals, who uh, are working at flight schools, pick a flight school that is involved with RTAG. Our diamond sponsor right now is, has a mobile flight school going to find veterans that don't have a good flight school nearby. He's currently in Alaska. Do you know how many pilots have signed up already and they have more coming on it all the time? 85. Wow. <laughs> they have 85 students waiting, and they all come with money. So if you're a flight school and you're, you know, peddling your wares to the local population, hoping someone gets a, dude, stop what you're doing and find a military base. Get involved with our tank. I'll make you millions of dollars. And if you don't, I'll make your competitors millions of dollars. Right. Because those are the folks with the money. And by the way, when we go back to the, the hiring trends, we talk about diversity. We talk about inclusion. We talk about women. We talk about people of color. We talk about folks um, of different persuasions. Look, I don't know if folks know this because, you know, most of you have not served in the military. You know, it's, it's, it's the truth. Um, that's in the military. You want women? There's 1.8 million women veterans in this country today. If you're looking for a diverse workforce of people from different economic and social backgrounds, you're not going to find it in the groves of academia on some college campus, folks. <laughs> you're going to find it in the military. People join the military usually from lower-income classes like myself, I mean, I, I was in living in government project housing uh, in the hopes of getting to the middle class. That's exactly why I came in the military, getting free education, get a job skill, get a middle class job, right? Well, guess what? We've also got tons, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, if you really want to be specific about it and you break it all down, of free money to spend at your flight school. And by the way, here's the best part. We have, um, we have programs like SkillBridge where we will intern for you for 180 days and it's illegal for you to pay us money. <laughs> Here's another one. If you hire a veteran with disability, you can earn up to a $9,600 tax credit for hiring them. 
Yeah. I don't know of any other underemployed uh, group of, of Americans that will net your business almost $10,000 for hiring them. So I'm saying, what I'm saying is you've got millions of potential students and employees who are veterans right now. They are thinking after two or three tours of, of getting blown up in Afghanistan that the best they can do is go drive a truck. No offense to my truck driving friends. It's still a good job. But guess what? They would be absolutely ecstatic to come teach at your flight school, fix your aircraft, inspect your aircraft, do your operations and dispatch your aircraft, go fly your aircraft, or maybe even work in the front house, you know, in the head shed doing, uh, you know, administrative or executive stuff. So, so for right now, I feel like that is the niche and it's, it's, it's obviously catching on because we are catching on, but I attribute it completely 100% to the support of not only the veterans in our tank, but also the civilians, you know, who support us and, you know, try to do their best to get the message out. Yeah. And, and so it's just about how you package it so people can understand the pathway to get to where they want to be, you know, and I think you guys are doing a great job at that. And, and, uh, there's, there's just so much potential and, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that, that seven to 10 years that we were talking about it, that's if they find all the personnel that they need to fill those people that are retiring in the next seven years. Um, that, that could right. extend if, if that need continues because they couldn't fill it, then, then that may stretch it, you know, or, you know, if they find, if they find, uh, uh enough people sooner, then that may, that may fill it up, you know, on the, on the earlier side of things. If, too. They, if, if, if they do, but it's just, you know, we do not have the same amount of people prepared who have, who have an ATP. And, you know, I was talking to a, a very new airline recently and they were like, Oh, we're surprised by so many applicants that we have. And I'm like, guess what, man, they're all applying to every other airline too. So when you say you have 15,000 applicants, well, so does Delta, so does Southwest. So does, I mean, come on. Man. Yeah. Divided you know, by six. <laughs> look, I didn't apply anywhere else. So I'm, I guess I'm like the lemming. I, I, I wanted frontier. You know, I didn't, I didn't apply anywhere else. That's where I wanted to be. But for some people, they're, they're just doing a shatter, scattershot method. You know, they're, they're papering the town, as they say in Hollywood. So here's another one. How many people got scared away after COVID? You yeah, know, yeah. by the way, you know, restaurants also failed. So we don't talk about how rest, you should never open a restaurant. But that's fine. But here, here's another one. How many people took early retirement? Yeah, for that sure. That certainly didn't make things easier. And, and I hate to say it, but, you know, more people travel now than ever. The rise of low-cost carriers, folks like JetBlue, they're bringing up a completely new market right now. It's dominating in Europe, and it's going to expand. In the time of a recession, if we do end up in a recession, I hate to say it, but um, it, it, the, 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 the growth and, and sustainment will still be there with the low-cost carriers. It's, it's a business model that's not going away. I don't think it's going to supplant the legacy model at all, but it, it's certainly changed the balance a little bit, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, what, what JetBlue did with the transcontinental route with their, you know, their, their, their business class, you know, their mint program. I mean, that, that really scared the, the, the legacy carriers and now British Airways are shaking in their boots because they're going to, they're going to be offering that same kind of service for under a thousand bucks across the pond, you know, coming up. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting time to, to, uh, to get in on, on all this. And, uh, I just, I always like to, to kind of give people an outlook though, to kind of light a fire under them because uh, oh I'm thinking about being a pilot and then they wait five years and they realize it was a great great choice to make because we all are now successful but then they then they begin their training and then the major airlines stop hiring at that 
during that time during their CFI time, and then then their greatest right, opportunity right. is 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 a regional back like we were in in two thousand eight. You know, so yeah, no, um, you, you make a good point, and 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 that's precisely the time that you should be for the folks that did listen to us and they went through their training and they got their CFI and their teaching. Now they're getting ready to step out into a market where they they have a really good shot right now of getting a job and they have almost a guaranteed shot of getting one next year. So good on them. I mean, you understand this, but I know there's a lot of helicopter folks that listen to your program and they and military folks too, Ian. Seniority is everything. It controls where you end up working out of. It controls what you fly. It controls what time in the morning you have to get up. It controls where you do your overnights. It controls how much money you can get. It controls how productive your trips are. I mean, it controls absolutely everything. I mean, you and, could, and I remember going, it's, it, go ahead, I'm sorry, yeah. No, 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 I was just saying, and, and you could also just stay home for three months and sit on long call reserve too, if you have the seniority to, to hold that. <laughs> you could, you could. I have a friend of mine that we interviewed together at the same time at commute air. And then I went straight to class and he delayed for a month to help his boss until he, you know, replaced him very admirable. And I held a line for six months before he did. And he started a month after me. Yeah. You just don't understand it. Like it, it, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but you know, you don't get to go higher up the seniority list because you make really great landings. (laughs) No, you get to go higher up the seniority list for being hired first. (laughs) That's it. And that's everything. So like, People are like, well, regionals, you know, I'm going to wait until things get better and the pay goes up. Okay, that's great. But And here's another thing for the older guys, um, and this is why I'm a big fan of low-cost carriers. And and I think it's important for folks to understand the proclivities that, you know, are, you know, are specific to them. You can go to a, a big carrier. If you're in your 20s or something, go for it, man. If you're younger and you've got the drive, go for it. But if you're, you're, you're 50 and you're like, eh, you know, I, I really want to go to Delta. Okay. And you might get there. But the problem is you're never going to be a wide-body captain. And if, even if you would get to that point, you're going to be at the bottom of the seniority list in that airframe for the, until you're 65. I don't want to be doing red eyes when I'm 64. Sorry. You know, I'll just sit on a nice little narrow body and fly my little trip, you know, what is it, Philly to Orlando, and that's all I ever seem to get to do. Um, but no, no, I mean, that's that's something to think about. And that's something else for folks to think about is what's cargo like. This is, and, and, and this goes back to, you know, we're talking about different um, different lingo, different terms. Before you get into this life, you've got to educate yourself about what trip rig is, what duty rig is, you know, What's it like to be in a union? These are these are unique things that folks have got to take into account. People will call me with basic questions, and say, "Oh, cool, I'm gonna go to an airline. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Republic, or I'm gonna go to you know Trans State." And then all of a sudden, I'm like, "Well, did you think about this? Oh, I didn't think about that." Yeah. Well, you got to educate yourself, and that's that's something that we offer. You know, we have the Our Tag Nation Forum page, which is like our cool guy and gal group. You can join that group. You can use the search engine, and you can find a mentor. Everybody in there wants to help everybody else. It's not like some places on the Internet where, did you read the post, or, you, you, you're terrible, or you suck. No, everybody actually wants to help me. It doesn't matter if you're a civilian or military. Everybody's very giving and generous with their time. Um, because, you know, most of these folks two years ago were on a convoy in the Tagab Valley. So at this point, anything looks really good to them. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and I was flying, so when I was flying medevac, and the schedule is seven days on, seven days off, you work 12-hour shifts, yeah, sure. you know, one, one week you work 12-hour shift, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. days, 
and then you take a week off and then you come back and you work 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. nights, right? And before, yeah. you know, 2016, 2017, when I was doing that, it was like, okay, it's, that's not so bad. But now in just even a few years, and, and, after, and after COVID-19 punched me back to the helicopter industry for a year, uh, I went back to flying for, my, for the same uh, parent company that Reach owned. And uh, I was working nights again. And I got to tell you, that made me realize right there that I, I don't want to do that when I'm 60, for sure. I don't want to do I don't want to do the nights anymore and and so that was kind of like that that sealed the envelope for me for making my decision to go back to the airlines for sure. Plus, man, we gotta we we gotta we gotta up your Instagram game with you. Now that you have you know this 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 beautiful lady on your arm, you guys are gonna have to travel and go to Greece and cool places. And how are we gonna get you that Armani sponsorship if we don't have some <laughs> more cool pictures of you two looking like jet setters? Man. I just I, mean, I just got a new lens. Ruined. I got a new lens. I'm ready. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, and, and I think the coolest part is, is that I hear from helicopter pilots all the time about how they love our tag and they have no interest in flying jets Yeah, because it's making their lives better. Yeah. I mean, for too many years, and, and I want to get to the, I want to talk about our new outreach with enlisted folks, but for right now, I want to I tie up the helicopter thing with one last thing. For too many years, helicopter pilots were just a, the glut in the, in the, in the Navy and in the Air Force, there's this, uh, you know, belief, and it's not always true, but that helicopter pilots score the lowest, so they are the worst pilots in their class. That's not the case in the Army, and it's not always the case in the other services either. And quite frankly, when you want to look at the war, look, man, there's no Taliban Air Force the last time I checked. So, I mean, the real combat, the real life-and-death decisions, when you take a young 19-year-old helicopter pilot, put him in a Black Hawk medevac helicopter, and put him in Afghanistan, and he has to decide which LZ he's going to go to, because he just turned 21, maybe, and he just made PIC, and now he has to decide who lives and who dies? Yeah. I'm sorry, man. Going, getting an edict time and being 30 in line at a conga line in, at Newark does not compare to that level of stress. No, not even So close. I laugh at your stress. I, 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 I fully respect and I love learning from uh, pilots at my airline. I do. But when it comes down to stress, I got stress, man. Yeah. I was uh, out of Atlanta on IOE, and we were, you know, you know getting kind of low on fuel, and we're having to make decisions, and it was getting stressful, and there's lightning, and we're holding, and all this stuff. And it's nothing. It's, I mean, flying the jet and, and being the best Airbus pilot in the world, I'm going to spend the rest of my entire life learning to do that. But dealing with stress, I got it. So for helicopter pilots, they're the air warriors for the last 20 years. They've been fighting these wars for 20 years, and they shouldn't have to come home and fight for a job. No. But for me, what I'm really excited about are the enlisted folks, because enlisted folks now are coming in and they're doing the exact same pathway that you did, that all these civilians did. They're paying their dues in the same way because they're not military pilots. They're going to go be CFIs. Um, a lot of our members, Ian, honestly, you might have some new clients, are, are coming into our tag, and they don't want to be airplane pilots, and they're enlisted, and they want to be helicopter pilots. I mean, was it Tim Kennedy, Dakota Myers? These are some famous vets, and they're getting their helicopter uh, ratings. You know, So a lot of folks are coming in right now, and they want to go do that. But for these folks, they're going to these flight schools. They're giving these flight schools uh, tax credits. They're coming in with all their training paid for. They're not disgruntled because they don't have $150,000 in debt. Um, and they're motivated. They know how to get up early. They know how to say yes or no, sir, to your clients. They know how to treat people. You know, they're, they're a different breed. I'm not saying they're better, but they have a skill set that most folks their age don't have. 
right. I think. They have, they have, they have, and, and they're not to supplant your applicants and your employees. They're just to bring the best of what they have in a debt. They're a good counterpart to your cadet program. They're a good counterpart to your collegiate program. Um, they're far more diverse than any of these subgroups that you're currently courting and spending fortunes on uh, recruiting. So take the time and call us and find out what we can do for you. Our services are free. We get nothing for what we do. We take no money. We don't want anything from you. But I can guarantee you we get over a third the hits of Coca-Cola. Somebody's paying attention. So if you want to reach uh, the next generation of pilots and mechanics, contact us. For yeah. Sure at our hey, when do you think the regionals will start offering these thirty, fifty, sixty thousand dollar bonuses again? Because that's what got me through. Well, didn't well, Air Wisconsin already started a bonus oh, did recently. They? So, um, yeah, I mean, very soon. Uh, as soon, I mean, you know, <laughs> the airlines that uh, started hiring first. I mean, really, honestly, uh, you know, Frontier. Uh, you know, uh, who, who also PSA was starting to hire. This is a progression. Of course, you know, Frontier's a major. They don't need to offer bonuses. But for these regionals, yeah, I mean, certainly. It, it, at first, I, I think I saw one regional recently say, we want a college degree. Okay, good luck with that. Right. Um, because right. <laughs> when, when 20 other airlines are hiring, you're, you, you, you can kiss that requirement goodbye. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, some were like, you must pay for your ATP. And now I'm seeing the regionals say, well, we're going to pay for the ATP. These are smart companies. They're not stupid. I mean, they've thought this out probably more than you and I have. They probably had a timeline and a board, you know, in their office. Like, okay, at this point, we'll have to start offering this again. <laughs> right. But, yeah, I don't know if we will. And then, and then, like, the RTPs, I don't know if we will either. Frankly, in, in most cases now, as long as our members and veterans start early enough, they don't need any bonus. And a bonus comes with, it, with, it, with something attached to it, just like a, a pilot pathway. Uh, it, it comes with a catch. It has to. I mean, otherwise these businesses would go out of business. So, you know, you may be getting 30, 50 grand, which is great. That's fantastic. But you're going to owe three to five years. Or maybe you're on a flow program with an airline and you're like, well, you know, I, I don't want to wait for the flow. I want to interview on my own. Well, maybe that's not going to work out for you because your airline already has a flow agreement, right? Right. Um, so, so these are things you have to you really have to think about it. You have to say, you know, what do I, what do I really want? You know, what, what's most important to me? Back plan from that final job. You know, to me, the, a more important consideration than the money, uh, you know, because we've always tried to save our money in our household and, and pay for things, is uh, where do I want to live? Because quality of life means, means a lot, too, you know. Yeah. Did you live in, in base when you were uh, a regional pilot? I, don't, I can't remember. Yeah, I moved to the base. So I, I bought a condo in downtown wow, Denver. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and now I'm, now I'm selling it for a profit. So that was good. There you go. <laughs> I know, man. You probably got Dougie coin too. Yeah, man, absolutely. That's, that's, uh, that's smart. But most folks aren't like that. Right? Well, and now I live you know, in, folks... and now I live in Charlotte, the Charlotte area. And, um, I, I mean, I knock on wood. I hope I get my job at JetBlue. I, I just took the drug test on Friday. So I'm hoping that, uh, they get the results and schedule a class for me. I, I think that's the next step, but assuming that goes well, I'm going to have to, uh, commute to you know, Boston or JFK for a while. And eventually I'll try and get the captain slot out of Orlando. And then just, maybe I'll just move to, uh, you know, Tampa or something. So I just drive an hour and a half and, you know, try and get a bunch of reserve time down there or something. So that's kind of my plan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, definitely. I, I do like the culture there though. You know, I mean, American would be a great 
opportunity here out of Charlotte as well. And eventually you could hold, hold Charlotte after about five years, probably I'm guessing uh, from what I've heard, yeah. but, but you know, the culture's different and they do require a degree and I'm, I'm, I'm a few credits away from getting my degree. So uh, I'm not going to stop working at JetBlue just so I can ho- maybe get a ch- chance at, at American later on down the road when I finish my degree, you know, I'm going to go take this job now and probably just stay there forever. So. Yeah. You bring up a great point though. And I, and I wish folks, more folks, understood it the way you did in that you actually moved to base back at your regional it's such a different life you know? so different yeah it so. is yeah so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay some dues here for a little while but uh you know they do have this 14 hour long call reserve now and and you you can just stay right here i can stay right right at home on on long call reserve so if i can get down to doing one or two trips a month and then the rest of the time on reserve then then that's good that's not too bad yeah, you can't beat that. That's definitely a, a good life. And it's really down to what do you want. I mean, I know guys at my airlines have made up to $70,000 in a month. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I know Czech, Czech Airmen who made sixteen grand in three days. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then I know guys that just, you know, bid reserve and live in base, and they get the men credit, and they live off that, and they hardly ever fly. So it's what do you want, and what do you want to do? I mean, recently, uh, um, you know, Frontier had a, little you know uh little post about a one of our pilots who is mayor of a town <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> that's funny you've got enough time to do that so <laughs> uh that that's what i love about this career you know me i i work multiple jobs i have multiple things i do i'm, I'm a lot like you yeah so uh while frontier is my profession that's my job that's what i, I pour most of my mental energy into being proficient proficient and safe um i have other things I like to do. And this is the perfect career for someone who has something else they like to do, or maybe just more time at home with the family. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hey, does, does, uh, the EV tall, we'll, we'll wrap up with this real quick, but does the, the electric vertical takeoff and landing the, 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 the human carrying drones or the, uh, single pilot or pilotless fixed wing, uh, d- does that scare you at all? Or, uh, w- there's a lot of little murmurs of that kind of, uh, technology, putting us out of jobs here eventually what do you how do you feel about that yeah yeah i was i i i, I when, it's kind of like the flying car thing which i've been seeing in popular mechanic you know cover issues for since 1955 <laughs> look i think that automation has its place but you know automation fails in aircraft now in two-pilot aircraft yeah and you have to fly yeah fmss fail and you have to manually to navigate and then, yeah, I, I think, you know, the first time a, an airliner crashes with a bunch of people on board and they get killed, that's going to be an aviation litigator's, you know, dream come true. Yeah. Um, you know, we look, people, people drive cars and they, 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 they watch movies and they think that Blackhawks are bulletproof or that we have radar or that airplanes, you just fly them with the press of a button. But that's not the way it happens. Yeah, my aircraft can do a Cat 3 Bravo, you know, landing to the ground with, you know, nobody touching the controls. But, folks, that's not the way it really it, it works most of the time. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever see pilotless commercial aircraft. I don't and, – and, and what, you know, I was getting ready to tell you before we, we got cut off there was that I was in Afghanistan one time coming out of the, the, the refuel point, and as I went back to the, uh, the parking area, I heard that a drone right after we left crashed into where we were at the FARP. Wow. You know, it was being controlled by, uh, you know, a remote pilot, you know, in the United States. What happens when that, when that cargo plane, because there's nobody on board, who cares? What happens when that crashes into a neighborhood in Brooklyn? Right. 
I mean, folks, let's let's just be real about this. This is not a car. You can't pull over when you ask for directions or, or, or when you have a problem with the check engine light. This is a this is a flying missile. Remember remember 9/11? Do we want to have an accidental 9/11? I mean, I don't I don't think that we're ever going to see that in our lifetime. I think Jesus will come back long before we see airliners without pilots on board. And I'm sure not going to get on them. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and and here's the thing too, just because the technology exists doesn't mean they're going to take the the profit margin, you know, the earning potential out of these current aircraft and send them to the graveyard. You know, they're still going to run them out yeah. at least for the rest of our career. So yeah, that's what I've been... Oh, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Well, Eric, is there anything else you... What, what's your favorite type of music? Uh, honestly, probably classical. I, I like the depth of it, and I like the, the fact that the catalog is so huge. Um, but, uh, you know, you know what's really music to my ears? What? I don't, my Real music to my ears would be seeing all of your listeners in San Diego, California. Oh. At the Artec convention... Uh, on October uh, 23rd and 24th at the San Diego, beautiful San Diego Harbor area. We're going to be at the Port Pavilion, which is on historic Broadway Pier. Uh, it is free to veterans, uh, military members, and their families. Civilians, it is only $25, and 100% of your $25 suggested donation goes 100% to scholarships to help veterans uh, start new careers and start new lives. We'll also be having a uh, special VIP party uh, at the Top Gun bar from the movie. Uh, some folks from the film who were extras in it will be there, and uh, lots of dignitaries. We'll also have the San Diego International Film Festival military screening track on board the USS Midway aircraft carrier on Saturday night. Uh, so we'll be showing a military film. We'll have... Uh, some great celebrities. I believe Captain Dale Dye from Band of Brothers and every other war movie in the last 40 years is going to be coming. And a, a lot of uh, cool guests. And of course, we'll have the, the convention. There'll be job offers on site for pilots and mechanics. Flight schools will be looking for CFIs and students. Colleges, vendors, great discounts from folks like Bose. Great food, a lot of entertainment, and just a whole lot of fun. And it's free. This is the last and only major uh, aviation hiring event for this entire year. So uh, if you're a business or you're a person looking for a job, this is your last chance until 2022. So make sure you join us there. Oh, that's awesome. And so I'm definitely going, hopefully I'm flying the line by then and I can just bid for those days off and I'll, and I'll get it. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to go if I can, if I can possibly get those days off. So uh, how do I That'd go? That'd be great. Well, hopefully your airline will be there. How, yeah. how do That'd I go? How do I sign up for that? Like what, what's the website? Yeah. So, yeah, the website is very simple. It's www.rtag.org. That's R-T-A-G.org. You go right on there, and there's a link. You can't miss it. And if you feel, feel, feel led, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Again, I always say it, but we take no salary for what we do. Everything goes to veterans for scholarships. And so you can donate to us as well. And if you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, find us on there. Like, follow, and share us, and uh, join the movement. We would love to have you. We do offer some of the best discounts in the world on gear uh, that you can't get anywhere else. And again, we don't collect your data to do it. So come on out, join us, be in San Diego. We'd love to have you. All right. Well, hopefully I'll get to shake your hand, and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much, yeah. Eric. I'm excited. Hey, thanks again, man. Great talking with you. I appreciate it. Okay. Sounds good. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.